am super excited that you are here with us today because we are continuing the series Salt and Light. Now, the first week we discovered that our presence matters in the world around us, that even a little bit of righteousness preserves people so that God's love can actually impact their life and that we make a difference even with their very presence. The presence of righteousness goes a long way in God's eyes. Then last week, my dad, Pastor Steve, did an amazing job at talking about how we are the salt of the earth. And the truth is that most of us Christians, because we came across somebody who was salty, became Christians. And you may not see the difference that you're making, but you are making a difference because salt always makes a difference. And so if you didn't get either one of those messages, go back to YouTube or our website and you can catch up there. And so as we get into our message today, one of the things that we all have in common, you know, isn't it true that at some point in your life, maybe when you went from childhood to adulthood, or maybe when you were a senior in high school or in college, but there are these transition periods that we all go through where we all decide, consciously or unconsciously, that I've got to figure out what works for me. And so there's this thing where, yeah, I know what my parents said, my church said, my granddaddy always said, I know what common sense says, but I've got to figure out what works for me. And so all of us at some level have begun to experiment with life. To some extent, this is normal, that we all experiment with life to figure out what works for us. Because there's something in me and you that wants to know how do we become happy? How do we make ourselves happy? What kind of decisions, relationships will make me happy? And so when we transition into adulthood, a lot of times we just experiment. Sometimes we make some happiness decisions, right? Uh, Happiness money, and we get into some happiness relationships, and then we get out of those happiness relationships because they don't make us so happy anymore, and then we get into a new happiness relationship, and then we may buy a happiness car. We're just trying to figure out life, figure out what works for us. You know, what is the right person? What's the right job? What's the right major? And all of that is perfectly normal. And most of that happens in what we call the momentum stages or the momentum years. And that's when somebody puts a sequence in place, you know, so you have eighth grade, ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade, you know, and then you graduate and then first job, first car, you know, everything's at first, there's this momentum or maybe right out of high school, you say, I'm not doing the college thing. And so I got my first job and you're making more money than all your college friends who are going to college. And you get that first car, that first apartment, that first roommate, first girlfriend. I mean, there's all of these firsts. And so there's all this momentum because life, life's an adventure. Everything's new. First marriage and promotion and first paid for vacation. It's just first after first after first. And there's all this momentum. And during that stage of life, which is really exciting, you know, because you can feel yourself moving forward. It's all about what, who, and where. You know, what am I going to do? Who's going to be there? Where are we going to go? You know, what are we going to do? What am I going to be when I grow up? What am I going to major in? Who's he? Who's she? You know, where are we going? Where are we going after that? And where are we going after that? That? And where are we going to go when we get back? So it's all about that. And that's normal and that's a lot of fun. However, one of the things that doesn't show up on the radar screen in the momentum years is the issue of purpose. But eventually, somewhere along the line, we run into the why question. 
And so if you're in the momentum years right now, and maybe you're in your early 20s, or you're making all these transitions, and you're maybe just going into or getting out of college, you know, what's next? You just got married, all of those things. I want to give you a heads up in today's message that might solve a lot of heartache for you later on. Because eventually, we all get to a point where along the way, we pause and we ask the question, in some form or fashion, we ask the question, why? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? And I'll tell you what usually happens. It usually happens when the momentum runs out and life starts to look the same. You know, because it's when it's eighth grade, ninth grade, you know, all the way through high school, first move, first promotion. During the momentum years, you usually don't get this. But eventually, life starts to look the same. And then you've got these three parallel tracks that look the same. You know, I've got my job, I've got my marriage, i got my kids, and then there's vacation, woo! And then you back to a job, and you know, and you just go around in the cycle, and that's normal. There's nothing wrong with it. But somewhere in it, it's when it's all looking the same, and it's kind of like Groundhog Day, and tomorrow looks like yesterday, but the, the issue is that you don't look like yesterday because we've gotten older. But the earlier, see, the earlier the better in, when you're in your momentum years. If you can pause and listen to some of this, you'll be better off. Because at some point, you'll stop and you'll ask the question, why? What is life about? And we bump into this issue of purpose. And a lot of people will bur- bump into the purpose question, but they don't actually ask the, the, these questions. So they make some really bad decisions because they just think, well, I just need to change things. You know, the reason that life is all the same and boring is I need a new husband, a new wife, a new car, you know, a new job, a new house, a new location. If I just can change the scenery a little bit, maybe I'll feel like I used to feel in the momentum years. And then you just ended up, you know, you just end up with scars, bad decisions, alimony, other things you can't afford. And maybe you look and you wake up and look in the mirror and, you, and you're older and you think, why am I here? And here's why you can't avoid this question. I mean, you could put it off. But the reason that we can't avoid it is because I think God put that question in us. And I think it got put in us because we're made in his image. And because we're made in the image of God, the eventually the purpose question, it's going to begin to bubble up. And if you recognize it for what it is, it's awesome. But if you don't recognize it, you might just think, well, I'm just discontent. And so I need to do this and I need to do that. And then you're just going to go around and around and around. But eventually, by God's grace, maybe you get to the place where you look in the mirror and you think, you know what? I think the issue is significance. It's purpose. I don't think another new is going to fill this void. And then maybe you run into somebody who has, seems to have figured this out. They seem content with their life, you know, and, and you, just, you think, wow, just look at them. You know, she's got a lot more than me or maybe she's got less than I do. But regardless of that, she just seems content or he just seems content. And when you get around and you, and you kind of dig around under the surface of content people, here's what you'll find. Somewhere along the line, they've discovered purpose. Because here's the thing, purpose will center you. It'll bring relationships and money and goals and dreams and kids and all these components, and it'll bring all of these which in, within some sort of boundary or parameter, and it centers us, and it keeps us from running off into all kinds of unhealthy extremes. 
keeps us from being ruled by our own appetites. It helps us make sense of all the things in life that don't make sense. It's a very, very powerful thing when we discover the answer to the question of not who, what, where, but why. And we'll all bump into it. The earlier, the better, the sooner, the better. Or maybe for you, this is the first time, or maybe this is the 12th time you've thought about this. Or maybe you're 20 years old and you're saying, you know what, I think you're right. I'm starting to wrestle with this now. And I don't want to wait until I have stuff in my past that I now have to carry into my future. Now, this is so important because here's the thing. Jesus addresses this. And we shouldn't be surprised because if Jesus loves us the way the scriptures say he does, he's going to deal with the things that are most important to us. And so he gathers, Jesus gathers a bunch of people together. And and this is a bunch of people, it's very important you understand they had no political leverage, they had no financial leverage, they had no relational leverage, social leverage. They were just a group of primarily Jewish men and women, maybe some children that were scattered through the crowd. They had lost hope nationally. They had lost hope in their religious system. They didn't feel like they were anything except for the servants of Rome, overtaxed to support an emperor that they never met in a place that they would never go. And Jesus gathers this ragtag group of people together with no organization, no formation, and really nothing to offer. And Jesus says to them, let me tell you the why. Let me tell you why God put you here and how God views you. And if you would ever embrace this, you, would be, you wouldn't be so worried about your national self-esteem, you know, and what about the glory days of Israel, you know? That there is, this is a new thing to embrace. This is a kingdom that you can wake up in the morning and think about, a reason to wake up. And so there, he is about to give them their purpose for life. And he looks at all these people, and in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14, he says this, you are the light of the whole world. Now, the Jewish people that were there that were really familiar with the Old Testament, they might have thought, ah, oh, I know what you're talking about in Isaiah. Isaiah said that Israel, the nation, is going to be a light to the Gentiles or the light to the world. And what they meant was in the Old Testament days, God was going to raise up a whole nation and give them military might, economic advantage within that region. And it was so big that all the other countries would look at them and say, oh, wow, their God must be the true God. Because when a nation surfaced in such a powerful way, all the other nations assumed that it was because of their God. And so in the glory days of Israel, of David and Solomon, God established Israel as a light to the other nations. And they looked at at Israel and said, oh, their God must be God. And so these Jews must have thought, oh, I know what you're talking about, that the Jewish nation is going to be a light to the Gentiles. And so as Jesus began to teach, you know, when you look at what he said before this, it's obvious he's not talking about the nation And he wasn't talking about a political kingdom. And he wasn't talking about having so much wealth that the world was in awe or so much political advantage or such a large army that it intimidated the rest of the world. He was talking about something totally different. He was saying the landscape has changed. God has shifted his plan. And now you individually, you are the light of the world. And then he says, through you, the world is gonna know what God is up to. Something about you is going to reflect in such a tangible way that people are going to have an aha moment as it relates to their father in heaven. He said, you, you're the light of the world. You see, 
if I was to walk into your company or find you at home or coaching your baseball team or whatever it is that you were doing, if I was going to walk into your world and just say, hey, you're the light of the world, and just walk out, you'd be like, hey, you're crazy. <laughs> it's like, you know, I'm not the light of the world. I'm a teacher. I'm a stay-at-home mom, or I own a business. I'm just a student. I'm not the light of anything. But if I was to walk into your world and I was to tell you, you're the light, you would say, no, I'm not. And the people that were listening to Jesus at that point had the same reaction. Look, Jesus, there's nothing happening. There is no, there's nothing related to us that's good anywhere. And so, but the second part of that verse, he says this, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. And he's not saying that you were a city that was just indiscriminately built on a hill. He was saying that you were a city that was strategically placed on a particular hill. See, architects and builders back then would ask, what's the best place to put a city? It would, you would put it in a place that it was prominent. They were usually built out of white limestone. So in the daytime, the cities would gleam in the sunlight. And at night, they would be lit by torches and lamps and you could see them. And he's saying, you are a city set on a hill strategically. And that it cannot be, and that you cannot be hidden when that happens. And then he goes on and he says in verse 15, he says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it strategically. There's that word, strategically on a stand. You see, everybody in the, ha in the house is, is impacted by a well-placed lamp. And then here's what he says, in the same way, now, you can't miss this because this is the hinge point. He says, in the same way that these people put these, uh, these, a city on a hill strategically or a light in a room, in the same way that you strategically place a lamp in a room to get the maximum light the maximum, to the maximum number of people in that very same manner, in the same way. He says, let your light, not the light you carry, but you are the light, let your light shine before men, which means what he's about to talk about is not something internal. It's something external. It's not about what you believe. It's about something that you do or you participate in. It's not about thoughts and emotions and, and conviction. He says, I want you to let your light shine before men so that they may see. In other words, I want you, I want you to do something. I want you to not just believe something, feel something, connect with something. I want you to do something so that they may see your good deeds and, and praise your Father in heaven. Wow. In other words, celebrate, honor, recognize your Father in heaven. In other words, I want you, this is what Jesus is saying to us. I want you to embrace the fact that your purpose is to be a light. And then I want you to do things. And I want you to do them in such a way that people can connect the dots. It's not just that people say, oh, well, he's just a, a nice guy. She's so sweet. He's so polite. You know, you can trust them. Jesus says, well, that's all good and fine. But I want you to get more specific for that than that. I want you to figure out what you can do and then do it in such a way that men, women around you, they actually recognize it that because of what you did or the way you do it, that they begin to connect the dots and they not only see what kind of person you are, but they begin to get a glimpse of the God you worship. 
And I love it uh, that it says that they may be that they may give glory or credit not just to God. It doesn't say, but it says to your Father. It implies a relational connection that your Father in heaven, that you and I are to let our light shine in such a way that people would give credit, praise, attention to our Father in heaven. Now, there's something that a lot of times we really push back on with all this, and that's this. According to Jesus, you've been strategically placed in your world for a purpose. And a lot of us push back and say, hey, wait a minute, Micah, that's not right. Because where I'm at, it's random. I am not strategically placed. I am accidental. I was happy in this city, and then I got transferred here. I don't even like Raleigh. I can't wait to leave. I am not strategically placed. My company sent me here. Or you may say, you know, look, I was happy in the high school where I was, and my parents moved here, and now I don't even like this high school. I don't have any friends. I don't know anybody. I'm not strategically placed. My parents moved me here. I didn't have a choice in that. This is an interruption to the plan that I thought God had for my life. So don't tell me that, you know, I'm, I'm a plan, I'm, that this is planned. My life is random. There's nothing strategic about it. And I can understand that. But two things. One is, is I'm just imagining that every single person in Jesus's audience probably thought that. So what do you mean we're strategic? I mean, we're, we're, we're like the armpit of, you know, of where we live. We're on the, we're like the pathway for Rome. We're occupied by another country. We're not strategic. And here's the thing is I want you to know that every single person that God has ever used has felt this way. Rarely does anybody feel strategically placed because we look at the circumstances and we think, well, that's just random. Or I got this deal or that opportunity and maybe I look back and it's a career path, but I don't necessarily see God's hand in all of that. But look, think about all the people that God used in a dramatic way to get your attention and draw you to him. Maybe it was a friend, a meetup leader, the guy at work, maybe somebody that worked for you, a couple that you and your husband ran into, maybe somebody in your school. But there was somebody along your way that God used them to draw you toward him. And we feel like those things are divinely set appointments. You know, we tell our stories and, and, you know, it's like I was just minding my own business and God just dropped these people in my path and influenced me. God put them right next to me. And I just feel like God did this. From your perspective, it was very strategic. But what about from their perspective? Maybe they were just, they felt like they were just minding their own business. They were just going to work. They just decided to go to that meetup. See, the person that impacted you, maybe it didn't feel so strategic for them, but from your perspective, you feel like God did a miracle in your life. And so God looks at us and he says, maybe I know you don't feel it. Maybe I know you don't see it. Maybe you wonder if it could even be true, but let me tell you why you're here. It's not random. It's not accidental. You you're the light of the world, and I have strategically placed you where you are. And if you'll embrace this purpose, you'll be shocked at what I can do through you. So maybe you're the apartment of your apartment complex, or maybe uh, up for of a single parent home that you never planned on, or a company that wasn't your first choice. Maybe you're the light of all the middle managers that wish that they had the guy's job above them that doesn't deserve it. Maybe you're the light in your family because you're the only person in your family that's a Christian. Maybe, but maybe you've been strategically placed, not abandoned, not not forgotten, but placed for a purpose. 
Now, the second thing that we have to wrestle with here, and, and this is kind of, this is a little bit harder even, is that this passage forces us to ask the question, what can I do in my world? What can I do in the world that God has placed me in that helps people connect the dots between who I am and who I believe in? What can I do in my world that can somehow point people toward my Father in heaven? What could I do that would cause people's attention to move away from me and maybe all the things that I do and all of those wonderful kind of things that you're trying to do as a Christian? How do we bridge the gap between we're a really nice person, a kind person, we work hard, to the fact that we're doing this because of our relationship with our Father in heaven? And that is a very powerful question Unfortunately, it's not a common question. You may have been in church all your life and never asked that question. You may have been around church people around your whole life and they never asked that question. And in fact, a lot of the reason why people resist Christianity for so long is because a lot of us, we were around Christians who were asking a ton of other questions, but they were never asking this one. And consequently, it drove people off. I mean, because this is paradigm shifting. What can I not think, pray, or believe, but what can I do with the opportunities that God has given me in the world that I work, live, play? What can I do that moves beyond, well, that, that, per, that guy's really nice or that really is kind. He really goes to church. What can I do to help people connect the fact of who I am, what I am, and who I believe in that would draw people's attention within my world toward our Father in heaven? See, if you wrestle with that question long enough, you will come up with an answer. And, and look, that is why we are here. That's why we were born again. That is our purpose. That is why we are taking up space here and breathing the air. You, me, we are the light of the world. You are the light of your community, your marketplace, your school, your real estate industry, of your family. So here's what I want us to do. Just for a second, imagine with me. Imagine if everybody in our church, imagine that if all of us just for one week, I mean, this needs to be a lifestyle, but, but just for, what if for one week we accepted, okay? I love where I live, I hate where I live. I love where I work, I hate where I work, whatever. What if regardless for one week we decided Okay, I'm, uh, I, listen, I can't answer everybody's questions. A lot of, a lot of the, those questions I don't understand. But what if for one week I accepted my role as the light of my world? What if you accepted that you are the light? Secondly, what if you ask God beginning today to give you insight how to answer this question? What can I do? If I've been strategically placed, what can I do what kind of works or deeds can I do? How, and how can I do them in such a way that would point and direct people's attention toward my Father in heaven? Because the bottom line is this, you've been strategically placed to draw attention to your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. You have been strategically placed to draw people to your Father in heaven for the purpose of drawing people's attention to our Father in heaven. What, what if we just did that for one week? I, I'll tell you how you already know this works, because that's why you're listening right now. 
That's why you're listening to this message or maybe praying for the first time in a long time or why some of you are reading your Bible for the first time in a long time. It wasn't an angel that showed up and shook you. It was because you ran into somebody in your world and something they said, something they did, something about their life got your attention off what a nice person they were and they directed your attention toward your Father in heaven. They were the light of your world. And now you and now me, we have the opportunity and the responsibility to do the same thing. Because we were created, you were created and called and positioned to be a light to the world around you. And listen, if you're not doing that, you'll never ever ultimately be happy or satisfied. Because when God creates you to do something and you don't do what he created you to do, you will always live with this sense of purposelessness. Because you have not engaged in the purpose for which you have been created. 